Now as we prepare to hear God's word read and proclaimed, let us pray. Holy and gracious God, open your word to us by the power of your Holy Spirit, that hearing your word might transform our souls, that we might turn to you and faithfully follow you day by day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today's passage might initially sound a little bit strange, so I'm going to try to set the context here. We enter in in the middle of a speech that Jesus is making, and he's expressing some frustration with the people around him. He starts by comparing them to restless children who complain about everything. Specifically, he accuses them of criticizing John the Baptist for one set of behaviors and then criticizing Jesus for another set of behaviors. Then Jesus offers a promise that is both a challenge and a comfort. So hear these words from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 11, verses 16 through 19 and 28 through 30. But to what will I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to one another, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We wailed and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking and they say, he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking and they say, look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. Come to me, all you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls." For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In October of 2010, two popular cathedrals shut their doors. One was the Crystal Cathedral in Garden Grove, California, that giant glass structure built by Robert Schuller and his religion of hope, peace, and optimism. In response to the anxiety and sadness he saw in the world, Reverend Schuller offered a positive word every week. No mention of sin or our fallen condition was allowed from his pulpit. At its peak on any given Sunday morning, the Crystal Cathedral had over 9,000 worshipers and 20 million viewers worldwide. But despite all that positive thinking and making more than $50 million a year, Schuler's Cathedral finally collapsed under the strains of financial, theological, and personnel stresses. At about the same time the Crystal Cathedral was filing for bankruptcy, another cathedral outside of Austin, Texas also closed its doors. The Cathedral of Junk was located in the backyard of Vince Hannerman, 
a man determined to show the world that one person's junk was truly another person's treasure. Built from other people's discarded items, the cathedral of junk became such an enormous attraction that the neighbors' complaints about the traffic and the glistening towers of hubcaps became too much for Mr. Hannerman to bear. Like Schuler's cathedral, Hannerman's collapsed under the weight of its own success. I wonder if it surprised you that one of Jesus' most beloved sayings, come to me, all you that are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. I wonder if it surprised you to hear that it comes after some of Jesus' most difficult pronouncements. Before he invites us to take his yoke and learn from him, for his yoke is easy and his burden is light, Jesus speaks words heavy with frustration and exasperation. Apparently, Jesus has had it with the reception that he and his cousin, John the Baptist, have received. A reception that vacillates between the saccharine positivity represented by Schuler's Crystal Cathedral and the petulant rejection of Hannerman's Cathedral of Junk. Now, these people to whom Jesus expressed his frustration were, in his opinion, people of extraordinary privilege because they had in their midst, in person, both John the Baptist, this prophet whose mission was to prepare the way for the Messiah, and Jesus, the Messiah himself. And yet, both had received a kind of lukewarm reception. Yes, there had been great crowds who showed up at the Jordan River to be baptized by John. And yes, throngs of people came to hear Jesus teach and preach. But as Matthew scholar Dale Bruner notes, most people in the crowds were merely excited or curious. Nothing much came of their attendance at the meetings. Indeed, both John and Jesus preached the message that what the people needed was nothing less than wholesale transformation, what they called repentance, which literally means turning around, turning away from the ways of the world, taking on a whole new mindset, a new way of seeing, a way Jesus describes as his yoke. And yes, his yoke is easy and his burden light, but we misunderstand this promise when we quote it out of context because the hardest part of taking up Jesus' yoke is that we first must give up the burdens to which we have become so attached that we no longer see how they are weighing us down. Like Schuler and Hannerman, we have spent our time and energy building great cathedrals out of what ultimately amounts to false promises and junk masquerading as treasure. Jesus' words in today's text begin with exasperation and anger at those who show a passing interest in real transformation, and they end 
with the promise that with that transformation, Jesus will bear our burdens and give us a new yoke. Now, at that time, the yokes people had to bear came from many different places in their culture. They came from imperial Rome, which imposed extraordinary burdens on the common people, burdens of labor and taxes and discrimination. They came from the religious institutions, which insisted on a particular allegiance to Mosaic law that almost no one could realistically achieve. They came from cultural and religious norms that viewed certain people, including the poor, lame, and chronically ill, as deserving of their lot, which provided justification for excluding them from the community. Now, all of this is not so different from the burdens under which we labor in 2023, burdens of cultural and societal expectations of what we are expected to achieve and acquire, burdens of the constant arguments over who is in and who is out, who is right and who is wrong, who gets rewarded for their good fortune and blamed for their misery. Four pastors who wrote the recently published book, The Great De-Churching, Who's Leaving, Why Are They Going, and What Will It Take to Bring Them Back, express the opinion that America is largely built for a specific type of person. If you belong to a nuclear family, graduate from college, and have children after marriage, America's institutions tend to work better for you. If you get off that track or never started on it, the U.S. is a more difficult place in which to thrive. The authors express concern about what this means for churches, which over time often become incentivized to create a space where those who are on the track, so to speak, feel comfortable, with the result that, as they write, the average American church is not truly hospitable to the less fortunate, making them feel like outsiders in our midst. Last week, in a combined meeting of our Dismantling Racism Advisory Group and our LGBTQ support group, there was a heartfelt discussion of what it means to be a welcoming and inclusive church. Several people there shared conversations they've had over the years with people they knew who had visited FPC but chose not to affiliate because they worried they wouldn't fit in. They didn't have the right clothes or the right kind of family or the right education or profession or status in the community. They felt like outsiders in our midst. We went around the group and shared a an example of a time when each of us had felt truly welcomed, and only one member of the group shared an experience that took place in a church. Barbara Glenn told us about a time she and her husband Vernon visited their son's Presbyterian church in Sausalito, California. It was a Sunday morning worship service, and when they arrived, the sanctuary was crowded. As they looked for a place to sit, a couple noticed them and realized they were visitors. They stood up, introduced themselves, and then said, here, take our seats. For Barbara, it was an extraordinary and memorable experience 
of welcome. True transformation, this transformation that both Jesus and John the Baptist preached, involves yoking ourselves not just to Jesus, but also to other people. This yoke requires us to go beyond politeness. It requires us to make another person's discomfort our own in order that we might bear it together. That is what makes Jesus' yoke easy and his burden light. When Jesus calls out the people for flocking to be baptized by John, but then rejecting him for being too out there, maybe even demon-possessed, and when Jesus observes how they clamor to hear him, Jesus, preach, but then accuse him of affiliating with the wrong people, with sinners, He desperately wants them to see how they are using these criticisms as excuses for avoiding the honest repentance and true transformation God requires. They have built cathedrals that cannot stand, burdening themselves with practices based not on God's justice and mercy, but on judgment and condemnation that threaten them all. Fortunately, Jesus doesn't just call us out. He also calls us in with words of comfort and promise and grace, offering to take from us those burdens we have shouldered but which have left us miserable and exhausted and to place upon us instead a yoke that may look burdensome but which is deceptively light. It's a yoke of learning and discipline. Come to me and learn from me, Jesus says. It is a yoke of humility and practice, of day-to-day and moment-to-moment remembering our baptisms that we belong to God, whose love and acceptance is complete and unconditional. Jesus' yoke is the burden which also happens to be a great gift of recognizing that we are not better or worse than anyone else. We are one. We are in this together. That promise is not just for you, but for me. It is not a yoke we bear as individuals, but together as a community. True community is when we are yoked together. When what hurts one of us hurts all of us. When what benefits one of us benefits us all. When we accept each other not on the basis of what our culture tells us is acceptable, but for the simple fact of our shared humanity. Louis Capaldi is a 26-year-old Scottish singer and songwriter who skyrocketed to fame a few years ago with the success of his song, Someone You Loved. Last September, Capaldi shared with his fans that he had been diagnosed with Tourette's syndrome, a neurological disorder that causes involuntary vocal or motor tics, which are often made worse by stress and anxiety. This summer, Capaldi canceled several scheduled concerts because of health concerns. He shared that he wanted to be ready for the Glastonbury Music Festival, one of the biggest events in live music but his return to performing didn't go as planned. 
A few songs into his set, his voice started to give out, and he struggled to continue. But the crowd encouraged him to keep going, chanting his name over and over. When he finally performed Someone You Loved, his tics prevented him from continuing to sing. And that's when the crowd took up the mantle, bursting into song. They knew every word. They sang every word. And finally, Capaldi surrendered. He put down his microphone, visibly moved, tears filling his eyes as thousands of people helped shoulder his yoke and sang of what it feels like to be loved. Amen.